on the corporate infrastructure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dre Campbell, and this is Tell, a podcast where queer people tell queer stories. For the past eight years, I've been hosting and curating a night of live storytelling at BGSQD, a queer bookstore in Manhattan. And now, I'm sharing those stories with the world. Again, season two. Just so you know, these stories were recorded at all different times and places throughout the pandemic pre-vax, post-vax, and everything in between. So, if you need a dose of queer community or just want to hear great stories told by the people who live them, you've come to the right place. So flash us your vax and tie up your shoes, because Tell is queering the narrative and telling our stories on our terms. Each episode of Tell features three stories that center around a theme. And the theme of this episode is money. Money. This first story is by me, Dre Campbell. It's about what I did with a little bit of money after a bad breakup. Everybody does things their own little way. What do you do with cash in your hand? Here's what I did, and it might not be what you'd expect. It was recorded in September, 2020. So I went through a breakup many years ago. I mean, I've been through a lot of breakups, but I was going through a tough time in addition to a breakup. It was like 10 years ago, I think. and. My mom was in a nursing home and she was starting to like get dementia and it was like really stressful. I was being kicked out of my apartment by my roommate and I had a breakup. So I was having like a lot of stress in a short amount of time. And my response, I was responding mostly to the breakup with what I'm about to tell you. Anytime I had cash in my hand, I would write my name on it. And I started to do it obsessively. And I wrote just Dre and I wrote little Aquarius symbols. And I would just like with big markers, write Dre like across. And (laughs) my thinking was, you know, I was getting like cash from like dog walking. And at that time it was like, it wasn't the apps and stuff. So it was like a lot of cash coming into my hands. So I was writing it on everything all the time, like $20 bills. I would go to the bank and they would be like, uh, you have your name. I just, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. All right, don't take the money. <laughs> I would hand it to my friends to like, be like, here's my share for the cab ride. And they'd be like, why is your, not? I don't, can't. It was like a response to trauma. I don't know if it was trauma, but like sadness, I guess, or whatever. And the logic behind it was that the person that I broke up with or who broke up with me was a waitress. 
And I was hoping that she would be counting out her money one night and she would go across my name and she would be so sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'll show her. Like, I'm not going to contact her. I'm not going to have any kind of revenge other than she's going to see my name on a dollar and then she'll be sorry. <laughs> Why? Why? Money. And I was like, she knows it's me because it'll have the little Aquarius symbol. Because side note, when we met, she had told me, oh my God, I can't believe we've met. I have been manifesting the perfect Aquarius girlfriend. And you walked into this place where I work, this restaurant. And here you are, the perfect Aquarius girlfriend. And then like eight or nine months later, it was a disaster. And so I started writing my name on money with the Aquarius symbol. I mean, that's... (laughs) One plus one equals two. Like, uh, who who doesn't do that? (laughs) The normal response. I don't, I don't know. 20s, 50s, there are a couple hundred dollar bills. I was like, show her when she gets, oh, why? But it was my shit. And the only person really suffering in that scenario was me. I did this for maybe like a year or so. I did it a long time. So you may, maybe it'll pop up. But the weird, crazy ending to the story is that my best friend, my closest, oldest friend called me one night and was like, I just got one of your $20 bills out of an ATM in Brooklyn. And I was like, what? Like her and her girlfriend went and fucking were just withdrawing their money out of an ATM. And bitch, my name popped out at them. And I was like, of all the people in this world to get that, I felt like that was the person that needed to get it. Like, that's a person who is like one of my oldest, longest, most special relationships. I felt like she was like my safety net in life. Like, okay, I caught you crazy. (laughs) Uh, And that's my little like physical money story. And I don't know why I thought like, it was, maybe it was like my weird little art thing. Next up, T.L. Thompson is a veteran storyteller and a wonderful actor. They put together, in my opinion, a perfect story, perfectly told, perfectly written. Everything about it is wonderful, so much so that I think that this story should be made into a film. It was recorded in September, 2020. Oh my goodness, money, you know? Money makes my palms sweat. Money, money makes me hot. Money. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I guess we were sort of like lower middle class. My grandparents owned businesses and, and all of the family would sort of work at the business. One business was a group home and one was a casket company. So I spent a few of my early years having naps under caskets. Not weird at all. But um, (laughs) so, you know, growing up in KCMO, you know, we were just sort of like a normal kind of fam. So like I said, I had sort of like a weird maybe relationship with money. I, I wasn't making it. It was around me. It was nearby. You know, it didn't really involve me. Uh, Fast forward, I moved to New York City when I'm 18 years old. Well, at this point, I'm like 24. 
doing odd jobs, random things. I hadn't yet joined the painters union. So I was, you know, bartending and waiting tables. And when I'm 24 years old, my papa, my grandpa, uh, passes away. And I find out that when I turn 25, I'm going to get $20,000. And it's like, I'm 24 and a little bit. So I'm like, oh, that's sweet. You know, I just, you know, graze papaya for a few more months and <laughs> I'm good to go. So, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm, you know, calling, you know, checking in and seeing like what, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm not making a lot of money and New York City is really freaking expensive. So, you know, the money gets there, I believe on a Tuesday and I don't have a bank account. So I have to go to a check cashing place. So it was $20,000 and now it's like, 19 something because you know they take a little bit off the top so i'm like fine that's still great next day i'm like okay i'm getting my girls together we finna go out and so i get my best six girlfriends and we get together and my other really good girlfriend larissa works at this like fancy ass restaurant on like just off washington square park doesn't even have a sign. That's how fucking fancy it is. So we go in and we are, oh, it's like three course. It's like, it's like all the things. I'm like, yeah, of course we, you know, we tip our girl, you know, we give her some bills, you know, she hooked us up with like one bottle at least. Right. You know, and we're also celebrating because I'm about to go to Portland, Oregon to be with my boo at the time. She lives over there and I'm like, all right, I got this. I'll move up over to, over to Portland, Oregon, okay. So we're celebrating. Okay, so that bill is at least two, two grand on that bill. So where are we at now? That's like 16, <laughs> it's about eight, 17. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm, I'm fitting to go to Portland. Whole year that I'm in Portland, I don't have a job. My boo don't have a job. I'm paying the rent. I'm flying us to LA because she's got a friend in LA <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's go see your friend. So LA, you know, that's three people's tickets. I got three people's tickets. So we're at like 16 something. And then, you know, we're on Rodeo drive. I got to get leather pants. That's a good, <laughs> that's a little bit. And then, you know, I was drinking like hard at that time. So like every place that we walked into, I'm getting at least around for the bar this one particular bar, there was a, a bull. <laughs> Bitch was riding a bull. <laughs> Making it rain. Okay, I'm down to maybe 14 when I leave LA. And it's been about, not quite a year. So I'm saying it's almost about eight months. Somehow, I've managed to get down to about 5000 in eight months out of $20,000. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should get a job. And then I'm like, okay, do I really want to stay in Portland, Oregon? And I was like, okay. So Boo and I break up and I move back to New York. I'm living with my good friend at the time and their girlfriend. And we're having, you know, booze and drug filled evenings. <laughs> and occasionally they're asking me for money. And, you know, it's my, you know, my best friend. And, you know, it's like, you know, we live together. We're sharing things. Sure. A little bit of money. I'm paying the rent. Uh, they go out of town for some reason. And I feel like it's absolutely Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's absolutely Thanksgiving. I've got at this point, probably about like 2000 of it left. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, Thanksgiving by myself, go to Boston market, get me one of them rotisserie chickens <laughs> and Blockbuster's still around. So I get DVD, not a VHS from Blockbuster. And I'm like, okay, this is my night. This is my night. I'm going home. DVD. 
roasted chicken, get to the door, there's a fucking eviction notice on the door of the apartment. They hadn't locked us out, but it became clear to me once I got my chicken and my DVD in that my roommates had maybe not been paying the rents that I had been given them. So, <laughs> so movie, by the way, is Requiem for Dream. <laughs> yes, bitch. Requiem for Dream, eating the rotisserie chicken and thinking to myself, man, if I ever get this much money again, that is not how I should do it. Dan. <laughs> I actually kind of think that is how you should do it. You fucking traveled. You did your party on your terms. We did. You ended up with a rotisserie chicken in your hand. Ray, I could have had a house. Bitch could have had a brownstone. You could have had a house. <laughs> what do you know? Actually, what I would like to see is like a zine or a, a graphic novel that shows the amount, and you call it 20000 and you, you show like how much each panel costs of your adventure until it gets down at the end and you're just standing there next to eviction notice with Requiem for a Dream and a Chicken. <laughs> this could even be a movie. I would love to play the rotisserie chicken. Fuck yes. <laughs> Woo, honey. This is getting made. You can find T.L. Thompson at tlthompsonactor.com. Our last story... Nina Key is a Quirian, queer and Korean-American playwright who likes her dogs more than most people. This story from Nina Key has pretty much everything you could want from a story. Religious hypocrisy, bullying, cursing, class, everything. It was recorded in September 2020. Take it away, Nina Key. My story about money has to do with Korean church school, which if you don't know, is a lot of Korean people send their children to Korean school. Happens on the weekends. And uh, a lot of times it'll take place at church. And um, you would think that it being like a church environment and everything that I don't know. It would be less like the real world, I guess. But um, in order to be popular in Korean church school, um, you have to have a little bit of money. That really helps, especially if you're donating that money to the church. That's a big thing. And also like your proximity to um, like the pastor or whoever, that also makes you somewhat popular. But my parents didn't even really go to church that often. So they were just like, my daughter needs to learn Korean to combat all the American that's happening in her life. And um, we're going to ship her off to the school every weekend. So I went to Korean church school. I was not very popular, again, because I did not go to church often. We did not have much money at that time. We were like, okay, you know. Um, but we certainly weren't donating because we weren't going. But there was a group of really popular Korean girls like, if you could imagine a Korean Regina George, 
that would be Julie Kim, right? That's like the, the ringleader. She was the niece of the pastor. So, you know, she kind of was like, I, I'm the shit, you know? And then her best friend there was this girl named Eileen, who was like clearly very wealthy because she was always wearing like lots of designer stuff. They were the popular group in my class. And there was a bit of a, like, everyone was kind of afraid of them a little bit until I got there. And then I was like, I mean, I feel like I'm charming, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, you know, making friends. And I was like, yay, who cares about popular? Let's just do this, you know? And um, I started making friends there. Um, my really good friend there was this girl named Sandra, who really, really wanted to be one of the popular girls. She'd be like, oh, I wish I could really hang out with them. They're so cool. Like, don't you wish you could hang out with them? And I'm like, we're cool by ourselves. Yeah, woo! It kind of came to the point where it was kind of like a, I mean, I've never seen this one movie. <laughs> From the title, I'm gathering a Revenge of the Nerds situation where like the popularity lines are kind of like dissolving, you know, um, which made Julie Kim mad. <laughs> she was really mad about it. And I think she started to realize that she was losing her Regina George grip on the class. And so she very cleverly, like adolescent girls are just so fucking smart, you know? But she started to like, kind of be like, hey, like come over here, you know, like let's talk. So one time she was like, oh, Nina, like come here, come here. Like, let's talk. Like, let's, you know, oh, hang out with us. Come hang out with us. And so I would, I like spent lunch with them and like spent that day with them. But they were like, yeah, like about your friend Sandra, like, don't you think she's weird? Yeah, she's weird, right? Don't you think she's weird? And I was like, I mean, no, she's my friend. I, I think she's fine. Yeah, like I like her. Um, and then the next day, the next time I went to Korean church school, I like didn't hang out with them. You know, I was like, okay, that was cool. That was a fun time. I'm going to go back to my friend Sandra. We're going to do this. I'm, I'm living my best life. You know, that was that. But then the next time, right, Julie Kim, um, she was like, this isn't working out. You know, Nina's not getting with it. So she started to befriend Sandra. And as I mentioned before, Sandra really wanted to be friends with them. So she ended up ditching me. And she became friends with Julie Kim. Yeah. And Eileen, and they were, they were just hanging out all the time. And, you know, of course, I'm like, oh, my God. Sandra, you are my friend. Like, I drew you pictures of dogs. Like, we we're friends. And um, <laughs> at one point, I was like, I like kind of cornered her. And I was like, Sandra, you know, you shouldn't be hanging out with Julie, Kim, and Eileen. Because, you know, they said you were weird. And that's bad. Like, you don't want to hang out with people who think you're weird. That's really mean. And she was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then she kind of left. And then the next time... Julie Kim uh, came and then, you know, Sandra was kind of like hanging out in the back, you know, Eileen was like closer to Julie, but like not as close, like clearly Julie's, you know, in charge of the situation. And she was like, Nina, I heard that you've been saying that I said that Sandra was weird and that's a lie. You are lying to everybody. You're lying to Sandra. You're a liar. Ah. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> I was like, I mean, you said it, you know, I'm not saying anything that you didn't say. I was like, you, and Sandra's there like looking at me, like making like sad puppy eyes at me. Like, how could you lie? And I'm like, I didn't lie, I swear. <laughs> She's a liar, don't put this on me. Um, but then after that, Sandra um, and Eileen and Julie, they're like the posse and, you know, they made a coup, you know, if you will, of the, the 12 to 13 year old. 
<laughs> Korean school group, and um, they got everyone to not hang out with me anymore. They like told everyone that I was weird, that I was lying, and um, I was like that sad kid with a book, like just at recess and lunch, like just reading. And then it got to the point where I remember um, the teacher having this really weird talk where like right before we all went out to lunch, she was like, yeah, you know, Jesus, like, love thy neighbor. And I think that we should do this as well, kids. And nobody really knew who she was talking. They're like, is that, is it me? Like, should I, am I supposed to be the nicer kid? Like, what, what is happening here? And I like look back on that now and as an adult and I'm like, oh yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely about me. So you know, I'm just like out there living my life, reading books by myself <laughs> every lunch period. And um, it got to the point where we are in the cafeteria and Julie like walks by me and she like shoves me, you know, like with her shoulder and she like runs into me and I like stumble. It's like strong enough that I like stumble backward and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> just, like, I can't believe it. I'm getting bullied. <laughs> I was so charming. I thought I was really cool. I was friends with all of you for like, you know, and now what a turn of events. But um, I neglected to mention this before, but I do have a brother. Okay. His name is Tom. Uh, my brother, how would I describe my brother? He, he started cursing in the fifth grade and he is the type to like drop F-bombs every other word. So he saw Julie Kim like check me with her shoulder and he's like, Okay, I'm just gonna, it's gonna be a lot of curse words, okay? But I just wanna replicate exactly how my brother did this. Because he was like, you fucking bitch, Julie! What the fuck? You're being mean to my sister! You fucking bitch! I'll fucking kill you! And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I didn't even realize, like, you know, at that point too, my brother and I were much closer later on. But at that point, I didn't even realize, like, you know, we're still like squabbling and stuff. So I was like, oh my god, I'm like taking it back. Like, I didn't even know he cared that much, you know? Um, and then Julie is like deer in the heads, like, 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 oh no, no, I didn't, I didn't do that to Nina. I didn't, I don't know what you saw, but I didn't. He's like, you're calling me fucking dumb. You're calling me stupid bitch. You're fucking dumb. And I was like, oh my God. And it got to the point where there was a small crowd gathering. And then he just kept going, you know, expletives, every other word, you know, fuck you this, fuck you. Don't you ever be mean to my sister again, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And then at one point, Julie realizes that she's not going to win this battle. You know, it's not, he's, she's not going to get a word in. He doesn't believe her, you know, and there's nothing that she can say that's going to fix this. So she just kind of like creeps backward. Like, I think I'm just going to leave. And she leaves. And then one of the bystanders is like, she was like an older grade student. She was like, I'm going to have to get the pastor on this. Like, I'm going to have to. So she leaves to go get the pastor. And then <laughs> there's no Julie anymore to yell at. So he turns to me and he's like, and you, like, don't ever let people do that to you. Don't ever. And you know, like, it's one thing to fight with your peers, but like my brother, like I fight, I've been fighting him since I was, you know, whatever. So I was like, don't yell at me. <laughs> I'm the person who was bullied, not you. Like, don't yell at me. I'm the wrong party. And so we're like going back and forth, back and forth. And then at a certain point, he was like, no, but Nina, like, you can't ever let them do that to you. Uh, because at the regular school that we were going to, he was getting bullied pretty frequently. And he kind of developed a reputation as kind of like the aggro kid who would like fight a lot of people. And like, I can see that, you know, because he was being uh, bullied so much. But I remember like somebody administratively like came. He saw that it was my, me and my brother arguing. And he was just like, 
well, it's a sibling thing. So I'm just going to back off. And he was like, he was like, just work it out. Like your brother and sister, you should love each other. Jesus. Bye. And then he like left. And then, uh, you know, my brother and I talked it out, but when I was thinking about, and I was like, what, how can I, what story do I tell? I was like, you know what? What is the moral of this story, right? Because I used to be an elementary school teacher. <laughs> um, what is the moral? All of my stories must have a moral, right? And my moral of the story is that being, I don't know, in close proximity to Jesus or the pastor, you know, and having lots of money, like, doesn't mean that you can't be nice, you know? You're wealthy, a businessman, whatever, does not mean that you can be mean, to put it lightly. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> That's the end of my story. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Being in close proximity to money, money adjacent. Who is money adjacent? Does anybody have friends with money? Yay, give it up for Nina <laughs> Oh, good old Christianity. Oh. They should just change the name of Christianity to religious hypocrisy. I mean, really? Hello? You can find Nina at ni underscore eu underscore ki on Instagram. Ah, thank you so much for tuning in. And queer folks, remember, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. So get out there and... Tell is created, hosted, and produced by me, Dre Campbell. The stories are recorded live on Zoom or on location at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division, a pop and pop bookshop and event space in the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan. Go say hi to Greg and Donnie who run BGSQT and tell them we sent you or follow them at BGSQD. The Tell Podcast is produced by Emily Bogosian, recorded at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn by Zach Sherzad, Eric Haugesag, and Onel Moulet, and edited by Lauren Klein. Our theme songs were written and recorded by Dre Campbell and Peter Letra. Charlie Hoxie and Kai Youngblood are the wind beneath our wings. Remember to follow us on Spotify, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google us on Google Play and slide into our DMs at Tell Queers or DreBiz on Instagram. That's Queers and Biz with a Z, obviously. And you know what? If you like me specifically, check me out on DreCampbell.com. Tell is part of the Brick family. For more information on this and all Brick podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org. Go tell your own if I